There are many ways people listen to vision, including through a PC at work. When you fire up your computer at work, go to vision.org.au slash listen and click the Vision or V180 Listen Live buttons. You can also catch the latest Vision National News Bulletin and enjoy a growing range of on-demand podcasts from the same page all while you work. However, and wherever you listen to Vision, you can be sure that the announcers, programs and music will help you look to God daily. Life, culture and current events from a biblical perspective. 2020 on Vision. We're going to be talking freedom ongoing this hour. And as you may be aware, earlier this year, Christian charities, businesses and government bodies came under intense pressure from homosexual activists because they held a position on marriage as being between a man and a woman. A biblical position on marriage. Well, some charities were in fact granted this special permission to, in fact, keep the names of their board members secret on the grounds of public safety. Well, this week, as the same-sex marriage legislation moved through the Senate and any amendments that sought to guarantee freedom of religion were rejected. Now there are real concerns that we are about to see an increase in aggression from activists who use the legislation for same-sex marriage as an opportunity to bully and humiliate Christians who now continue to hold firm to a biblical basis for marriage as only between one man and one woman. Well, one of those who was targeted earlier this year was Dr. Stephen Shavura, a senior researcher in history and politics at Macquarie University. There was intense pressure through intimidation for him to resign when it came to light that he simply held a position on the board of the Lachlan Macquarie Institute. Now, that's a leadership body set up by the Australian Christian Lobby. So a link to the Australian Christian Lobby made Stephen Shavura a target. Well, Dr. Stephen Shavura is joining us today, and he is available to respond to your questions or concerns. So just how tough will the anti-religious campaign get? Uh, What does it mean that there are no adequate safeguards in the marriage legislation ensuring freedom of thought, freedom of speech and freedom of religion? Well, Dr. Stephen Chavura is joining us. He's a political theorist and intellectual historian. His research interests include the history of political thought, Australian intellectual history, and philosophical issues relating to freedom of speech and church and state. A special welcome to 2020 to you, Stephen Chavura. Great to be here, Neil. Thanks for having me. Uh, Stephen, a uh, lengthy sort of introduction there, and I did mention uh, something of your circumstance early in the year. Perhaps as we get our conversation underway today, you've got thoughts and strong thoughts about freedom of religion and the other freedoms that we talk about, but take us back to uh, that circumstance you were in earlier this year when there were activists trying to remove you from your position there with Macquarie University. Yeah, um, well, this happened all in about uh, May this year when I was um, uh, 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 mentioned by a particular uh, gay activist uh, in a tweet. And basically he tweeted a photograph of me and, and said uh, to my, uh, directed the tweet to my employer, Macquarie University, and said, you know, Macquarie University, it's not a good look having a guy like Steve Shavura on your payroll 
when he is associated with the Lachlan Macquarie Institute. And so the clear intention was to compromise either my job at Macquarie or my position on the board of directors at the Lachlan Macquarie Institute. Uh, so what you essentially had with that was a, a gay activist uh, whose strategy was to either um, impede my employment, my livelihood, or impede my freedom of association uh, to be a member of the LMI board. And that's uh, what I've said from the beginning, a very, very low tactic to take. So you were on the receiving end of this level of threat and intimidation back in May. And now this level of threat and intimidation is likely to be the lot of anyone who holds to a position of a biblical marriage between a man and a woman. Is that a, is that a generalization or is that really likely to be the case uh, when the same-sex marriage legislation passes through the lower house next week? Well, it's it's a very it's a help it's, it's it's both. It is a generalisation that happens to be you know, quite plausible. Uh, I think the the, um, the in, in my instance, and then there were other instances surrounding mine, uh, such as the Cooper's uh, Cooper's uh, Brewery uh, debate, where I, I think it was actually the same activist who started a campaign uh, against Cooper's Brewery for even thinking of hosting a debate on the issue of same-sex marriage. And then there was also uh, another board member uh, on the LMI whose position uh, in his uh, employment was was compromised. I think what all these instances point to is that there is a strong appetite out there among some activists to basically make it impossible to be um, a... To, to be an outspoken or in some ways public uh, advocate of traditional marriage or to be associated with organizations that are public advocates of traditional marriage and to at the same time uh, have a place in major corporations, uh, universities, and, and, and basically to be able to sort of um, carry on business as usual without being constantly harangued uh, for that association. Uh, so in, in that respect, I mean, what happened to me was quite minor compared to sort of what other people like, for example, Pansy Lai or David Van Gend and others have had to experience. But the significant thing is that all of these indicate uh, a very strong appetite among some uh, activists basically to compromise people's livelihoods who, with whom they disagree. Well, Stephen, you lecture in politics and intellectual history. What were, what's likely going on in the political sphere in Australia? The politicians have not been able to guarantee or even make amendments that might bring into the current legislation some level of protection for people who have a different view to what the new prevailing uh, view of marriage would be uh, what's happening in politics and in general and we might get a, a bit more specific but what's happening in general in politics in australia and our culture at the moment yeah I mean, it's a good question i think it's actually in some ways quite complicated but i think what we're seeing playing out at the political level right now and at the lobbying level is a deep division that exists in australian society over questions of life 
uh, human identity and morality, uh, deep divisions that really um, uh, became powerful and noticeable, especially in the 1960s, and that have sort of continued on to the present day. So, you know, although it probably it seems to be the case that most Australians do uh, advocate or accept uh, same-sex marriage, there is obviously a significant minority who do not. And this social division is now playing out at the, uh, at the political level. And, and essentially what is going on is that both sides consider the other side's uh, moral position to be quite harmful to society. And that's why there seems to be uh, so much acrimony uh, in, in the debate, uh, because we're just kind of, these are just expressions of very deep and wide moral divisions at the social level, uh, which haven't been resolved yet, and may, not be, may or may not be resolved. Uh, I think the other thing politically that, that has made a big difference is that we have both a prime minister and an opposition leader who are both quite uh, pro-same-sex marriage, which is new uh, because, you know, earlier on, you know, Tony Abbott was not in favour of same-sex marriage. And although I think Gillard and, and Rudd were probably in their heart of hearts in favour of it, or at the least not very much opposed to it, they both came out opposed to it uh, while they were uh, prime ministers. And so that situation has changed, and that has very much changed the political landscape, uh, especially considering, you know, Tony Abbott was quite right of centre in terms of his political philosophy, whereas Malcolm Turnbull is a little bit more left of centre in terms of his political philosophy. So all of these sort of political and social dynamics are now playing out uh, in, in, in politics. And, and, of course, the Labour Party itself has undergone a great transformation you know, over the last uh, 30 years, and uh, the Labour Party structurally and sort of systemically uh, is very much on the board with what some people would call sort of progressive uh, social philosophy, which, among other things, includes a hearty endorsement of same-sex marriage and other sorts of issues that currently that, that, that often come under the category of um, LGBTQ rights. Steve, you are a lecturer in politics, and uh, let me just uh, slow our conversation down for a moment here uh, for some quick definitions, uh, because when we talk about left and right, uh, we're generally uh, agreed and people understand uh, left side of politics, right side of politics. But when we start to talk about uh, social progressives and conservative liberals and libertarians, uh, these do mean different things. How do you describe, and perhaps if we were talking about, say, Malcolm Turnbull uh, and Bill Shorten, and then uh, you've got these uh, more right-of-centre uh, conservatives, say you're Tony Abbott, uh, and others that might be on then the, the left side, how do we describe them? Is there an easy way that we can uh, capture where people sort of sit on the spectrum and make it easier to understand where politics is going at the moment? Oh, well, it's all, it, it is all kind of messy, and, and, and sort of political categories like left and right and progressive and conservative, 
they're, they're at best sort of helpful gener uh, generalizations. In fact, one of the first things I teach my students, in my first year students in my political theory class, is to not take the categories too seriously. And for example, the term progressive. Uh, progressive is basically a meaningless term because everyone believes that they are progressive. No one actively uh, stands for regressive social policy. Uh, you know, so the conservatives would consider any uh, any implementation of their uh, policy and legal proposals as progress. Uh, but in, in terms of the meaning of, say, progressive and libertarian and conservative, I suppose those who would describe themselves as progressive would tend to uh, advocate a policy such as same-sex marriage, uh, they would tend to advocate other sorts of things like multiculturalism, uh, probably a, quite a generous welfare state, uh, LGBT rights in general. So certainly someone like um, uh, Bill Shorten you know, nicely sort of epitomizes what you might call a progressive. Uh, you know, then you might have you know, like the libertarian, and the libertarian... Uh, is someone who believes quite strongly in free markets and that the government shouldn't really intervene in business. But also the libertarian will tend also to be someone who believes that the government shouldn't have anything to do with public morals, that public morals uh, should also be something essentially left to society to work out. And so if the state has a law which enshrines some element of morality, say the traditional marriage law, then their view is that that law should not really exist or it should be changed to represent a theory of morality that isn't in any way exclusive or any way, um, uh, yeah, in any way really exclusive. So you know, the, the sort of the, the pure libertarians will tend to be in favour of, of free markets and a smaller welfare state, but also very much in favour of sort of um, moral libertarianism as well. The state really shouldn't make um, strong sort of declarations about issues of morality and, and tradition and things like that. And then, you know, the conservative, well, I mean, that's a difficult term in itself, um, but conservatives will tend to be uh, to quite jealous of guarding uh, social morals and social institutions that they consider to be quite valuable and, and, and that they think have stood the test of time because they actually add something quite valuable to social stability. And so the obvious example of something like that is marriage. So the classic sort of conservative understanding of this as it's been expressed in the debate is that marriage and the family has been conceived roughly along the same lines for thousands of years by pretty much all cultures. Uh, the fact that it's survived so long must mean that it must have some kind of value and public utility, and therefore to change it uh, is potentially quite dangerous. And so, you know, and that, that would be a kind of conservative uh, position. And so someone who would fall into that kind of category would be someone like Erica Betts, someone like Tony Abbott. Uh, so those are sort of the rough categories. 
Um, and, and you have overlap, of course, between the categories. So, you know, you can have conservatives who, are, who, who also believe in free markets as well. Uh, so, so as you say, messy, it yeah. is it is messy, it is complicated, and that's why we have a tendency to talk about left and right, uh, which uh, makes it a, a little simpler to understand. Of course, yeah. what comes in then and complicates simply left and right is this rising secularism. Mm. So hold some thoughts on that. We'll come back and we'll talk about the rise of secularism and how that affects conservative and progressive sides and what that all means with the freedoms that we're about to lose. Life, culture and current events from a biblical perspective. 2020 on Vision. Dr. Stephen Shavura is our guest, political theorist and intellectual historian. His research interests include the history of political thought, Australian intellectual history and philosophical issues relating to freedom of speech and church and state. And your opportunity today to air a question or a concern about what's happened to our freedoms. Of course, the same-sex marriage bill due to go through the House of Representatives next week and should go through uh, without too much trouble at all. Uh, Stephen, let's take some calls. Let's first of all hear from Ursula in New South Wales. Hello, Ursula. Welcome along. Oh, good morning. Um, I have a two-part question. Um, what I've been sort of missing a little bit in the debate leading up to the results of the uh, survey was the point that uh, like mathematics and colours and things like that, marriage is really a, a concept that is out of outside of our opinion uh, you know, it's something that's been presented to us, it's external, it's not something that we can actually, you know, decide yay or nay about and um, I mean, we've spoken a lot about children and losing rights and things like that, but we haven't really taken them back to the logic of the whole thing. So I'm just wondering if that's still something that we can, um, you know, as the as the situation goes on and our fight goes on for marriage, to use that. And uh, the other part of my question was that, you know, really what we're experiencing at the moment is um, reverse discrimination. I mean, when they uh, started off being public 50 years ago, about you know wanting homosexual rights, um, you know the, the argument was that we were discriminating those of us who are conservative, and so now the, the whole thing's turned around and the boot gets shoved into us. And Ursula, um, you're making some good points there. Let's get a response from Dr. Stephen Shavura. Yeah, thanks, Ursula. Um, well, this this sort of speaks to uh, something I mentioned earlier, and something that we're going to talk about in a second, namely secularisation, but. In terms of being able to anchor our um, case for traditional marriage on some kind of objective foundation by which to sort of argue our case, I, I think the sad fact is that although that can be done theoretically, uh, to have that done publicly in a way that will be persuasive at, at sort of the mass cultural level, I actually think that that will be very difficult because culturally marriage has been trashed for about the last at least 40 years uh, when you know unilateral or easy divorce laws were introduced in the mid-70s that in itself was a strong declaration that no longer did we consider marriage uh, as a lifelong partnership uh, except in cases of serious abuse 
Uh, so it was really in the 1970s that we dropped the ball on any sort of notion that marriage has some kind of objective public good and utility uh, apart from its ability to make individuals sort of subjectively happy. And so culturally now the effects of that are that, you know, uh, probably nearly half of marriages end in divorce. We have a generation of, of people who have been brought up in broken homes and so, so socially, marriage just doesn't have the significance that it did have, say, 50 years ago. And so at this point, culturally, to say to people, hey, marriage is this objective good, it's really socially important, we really ought to look after it and not change its definition, sort of, I think culturally we're, we're kind of past that point because now you have kids who have sort of grown up in broken homes and they kind of think, well, marriage didn't work for my parents, and, and, and socially marriage doesn't even seem to be all that valued anymore. Why are you telling us how important marriage is? Uh, so I think that's p- p- part of the problem of trying to make a case for same-sex marriage based on the intrinsic good of marriage. Now, I'm not saying that you can't make that case, and you can make the case, and, and people, you know, American uh, poli- uh, thinkers like Ryan T. Anderson, Robert George, and Sharif Gigas, they make that case quite beautifully, but it's one thing to make a case to academics reading a book. It's another thing to try to persuade a culture uh, on the, the on, on sort of the, the crucial nature of marriage to social well-being, when culturally marriage has almost become the butt of jokes. Um, so that would be my response to your first the first part of your question. Now, in, in, in response to the second part of the question, in terms of reverse discrimination. Yeah, I think that that is something that that is going to emerge, and a lot of that just has to do with the fact that uh, sort of social morality has been shifting, and so what was once considered the moral and proper way of thinking about marriage and and and, and especially sexuality, uh, that has now, in, in the eyes of many, uh, become actually the immoral way of thinking, and so no longer is it a matter of morality to believe that the proper expression of human sexuality is within marriage conceived as an institution um, between a man and a woman for the, uh, the end of creating and raising children, uh, that view now is not even considered a matter of indifference. It's actually considered immoral by many people. And so when people sort of suggest that a baker shouldn't have the right to be able to refuse service to to make a cake for a same-sex wedding, what is essentially going on in the back of their minds is that that very belief that they have that a same-sex marriage is morally and theologically wrong, that that belief is an immoral belief. And this shift in cultural thought about morality has taken place in the last 40, 50 years. Ursula from New South Wales, thank you so much for your call. Our talkback line's open on 1-800-316-316. We'll need to keep things uh, short to the point. Let's hear from Ben in Kalgoorlie in WA. Hello, Ben. Welcome along. G'day. How you doing? Very well, Ben. Need to be quick. What are your thoughts? Well, my thoughts is because they're all, they're like, all this stuff's been pushed through Parliament for... Uh, to not protect religion of uh, rights of religion and all that, I just want to know where's that going to put 
Vision FM. Because Vision FM is, is the one that's really promoting the marriage, and I really support that. And I just want to know, where's that going to put Vision FM in the, in the future? Well, uh, for me to comment on that, uh, we could only speculate. It was raised a little earlier in my conversation with Bill Muhlenberg. And uh, yes, well, Vision FM, like any other Christian charity that might have uh, some reliance on uh, tax deductibilities, for example, uh, may be at risk. And uh, it's not for me to make official comments about where vision might be about those things, but uh, except to say you are quite right uh, that vision as one uh, Christian uh, organisation that does have some charity status uh, will obviously be in uh, the sites of some who might like to take uh, advantage of uh, of having a free kick there. But uh, but I would say that Vision, like every other Christian charity, so we're all in the same boat together, the Christian charities that operate in your town, uh, they are also at risk. And uh, I'll get a, a perspective here from Steve Shavura. This sort of thing, uh, every charity, everyone who is Christian who wants to stand and say that we believe that marriage is between a man and a woman, every one of those charities is at risk, is it not? Oh, I believe so. Um, and, and, the, and this is not just sort of blind conjecture. Uh, this is something that's being demonstrated around the world, uh, particularly in the United States. Um, a, a recent book by Ryan T. Anderson um, uh, goes through dozens of cases of private businesses and charities in the U.S. which have been fined or shut down uh, because they have uh, publicly uh, taken a particular stance on the meaning of marriage. So I'm going to have to cut in, Steve, and yep. uh, I know that uh, there's plenty more to say about this. We're about to go to news. We'll continue the conversation. Well, Dr. Stephen Shavura is with us today and is available to respond to your questions and concerns. And as a political theorist and intellectual historian, has some unique perspectives to bring to our conversation. Uh, Stephen, just before we take other calls, we were on the uh, discussing just before the news issues to do with what sort of organisations may be actually at risk or vulnerable to aggression without any protections for religious freedom. I just want to bring into that because there was a discussion there that mentioned Vision Radio and where our status might be. And just referring to, to uh, uh, in the ad break there, just after the news, uh, our CEO, Phil Edwards, who even quoted the scripture, preached the gospel in season and out of season. So that gives you a bit of an, a firmer idea of where positionally vision might be. But let's not get into vision so much because I'm not the official spokesperson when it comes to those things. I would like to say, though, we had a call from uh, one caller, Rena in WA, who couldn't stay on the phone, who says she's interested to know how this could impact impact Christian and private schools. So Steve, it's not just Christian media, it's Christian schools, it's Christian business. How do these uh, all get uh, caught up in this whole issue of not having religious freedoms legislated and puts everyone at risk? Yeah, well I think the probably one of the biggest uh, questions will be the future of uh, religious schools, Christian and, and non-Christian uh, non religious schools. And uh, it, it seems to me that what, what the strategy will be is to try to get Christian schools defunded uh, if they are alleged to breach anti-discrimination codes. And so what you'll basically see happening is uh, activists 
uh, applying for or encouraging others to apply for jobs in religious schools uh, as sort of to create sort of test cases in the courts. And when those people are denied employment uh, based perhaps on the fact that they may believe in same-sex marriage or that they may be uh, in a same-sex relationship, then those schools will be taken to court uh, and... Uh, and, and there'll be also, if those court cases are just not successful, then what you'll find is there'll be pressure on politicians to change the laws to make it illegal for Christian schools uh, to be able to discriminate on grounds of sexuality or even uh, beliefs regarding sexuality. So that is a big thing. And, and, and I think what you'll find is the push will be that such schools will not be able to receive any public funding. And just to hearken to the idea of a betrayal uh, from those who said that they would maintain freedoms, uh, there is uh, truly evidence for a betrayal there, particularly given the vulnerabilities of every Christian institution now. Is that a, is that a fair enough remark? Oh, I think it's totally justified. I think it's absolute utter betrayal uh, by the... Um by the, the major advocates of same-sex marriage, but also uh, by uh, people like um, Malcolm Turnbull, who is, is barely fighting at all, uh, or encouraging uh, MP, uh, Liberal MPs who are uh, dissenting from the amendments to the Smith Bill to actually honour uh, um, uh, freedom of conscience. But this is something uh, that, that, that should have been obvious to anyone who is paying attention to the case made by the yes, the yes camp, because from beginning to end, the yes camp have always um, characterised no voters as bigots uh, and 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 equal to sort of racists, and so because the no voters have always been characterised as people who are. Uh, bigoted and also people who are advocating a case that is detrimental to the health of, of gays. Therefore, it shouldn't surprise us that now that uh, the yes case is won, they're actually going to try and uh, uh, cleanse public institutions uh, of those kinds of ideas and also see to it that people with those, uh, that institutions with those kinds of ideas are defunded by the government. So this is, no, this is no surprise whatsoever for anyone who's been paying attention to the rhetoric of the yes case. We're taking calls. 1-800-316-316. Let's hear from Chris in Victoria. Hi, Chris. Welcome along. Uh, good day, Neil. Yeah, I'm glad you mentioned Phil Edwards in Scripture because all the politics is good. We should really give God all the glory and, and engage these people with Scripture. When the Pharaoh you know, um, decided not to set God's people free, and keep them in slavery, what did God do? He said, uh, you know, he sent the plagues and the Passover. And the main thing is not even the plagues and the Passover, it's what God declared, I will make a distinction between my people and the enemy. The, the plagues and the Passover only touch God's enemies. And, and just today I see this bad weather all over Australia. You know, I, I see it's, it's not significant. It's all over Australia. We've had the gay marriage. We've had this sort of thing. Uh, maybe God sending judgment and... And in that judgment, may he make a distinction between his people and the enemy. That's all, you know. Uh, Chris, interesting thoughts there. I'm always cautious about uh, connecting uh, bad weather or tragedy or disaster with uh, the decisions that get made politically. But uh, your thoughts in general for Chris, uh, as we uh, as uh, as Chris has uh, presented those, uh, Steve. Uh, well, yeah, uh, the storm after the rainbow. I don't know, um, but um, I, I think 
the fact is that you know what what Chris is indicating is sort of again at the sort of the cultural level is that morality has so changed that in fact people on either side of this debate often see one another as enemies and and, and this is probably easily linked to secularization that has taken place in Australia uh, over the last 40 or 50 years uh, you know we have to remember that you know prior to sort of you know you know 40 years ago you know Australians were divided on issues such as the Liberal or the Labour Party or, you know, socialism versus capitalism and other things. But we were never divided on questions of sexuality and and the meaning of marriage. This was something that both political parties agreed on. It was something that Australians in general agreed on. And the reason we agreed on it was because our conception of human sexuality and the meaning of marriage was anchored to a cultural Christianity that gave us a way of thinking about you know what it is to be a human being and, and thinking about the morality of of human relationships in general and sexual relationships in particular but what happens when secularization starts to ramp up especially from the 1960s and and that is very much encouraged by things like the pill which div- which sort of separate uh, sex from pregnancy which means that for the first time in human history, you can sort of think about sex as an activity in itself without thinking of, of babies and children. Uh, when you have those kinds of innovations that start to take place, then culturally uh, our views on the, the meaning of sex, the purpose of sex, the point of marriage, they all start to change. Uh, and Christianity, which made a lot of sense uh, in its view that you know sex should be contained within marriage because the ultimate you know, product of sex is is children and children actually need a stable institution in which to grow up that suddenly starts to seem a little bit quaint to a lot of people because the connection between sex and children has been broken by contraception and the pill and so christian morality over time starts to become further and further removed from public morality which is shifting to the point where you actually have two quite well-defined camps that in, that has become what's become evident over the last few years and especially in the recent postal debate is that these camps have started to see one another antagonistically because they both stand for very separate theories of morality that see the other as quite de- detrimental to social well-being and that is part of secularization secularization has changed public morality but you still have a lot of christians and traditionalists who hold to that old who hold to that old view there's much more to be said, but I'll leave it there. Okay. Well, thank you so much to Chris for your input. Let's continue to take calls. We'll need to be quick. Let's hear from Jamie in Cooparoo in Queensland. Hello, Jamie. Welcome along. Hi. Um, I was talk. I was listening to the radio program, and I'm. I, I'm not very judgmental on the sex sexual side of things, but it is actually of. Um, Man and woman is of God because God created us man and woman, not woman and woman, or man and man. Now, I find it very hard to judge someone on based on their sexuality. Yep. Well, I, uh, yeah, sure. 
Um, well, I think what's important to, to point out is that the no case was basically, uh, for the most part, uh, not a case based on the sexuality of, uh, of, um, of people, but it was based on the meaning of marriage. And, and this sort of goes, again, to the heart of sort of the cultural shifts that have been taking place. So, for example, you know, you, you wouldn't get people in general from the Australian Christian lobby or from Marriage Alliance uh, making a case for traditional marriage based on the immorality of sexuality, of, of, of homosexuality, or, 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 or attacking a yes campaigner because they're a homosexual. That, that's not really what happened. Um, uh, their case was based on a traditional defense of marriage as something that is not a human construct, but something that is grounded in objective you know, nature. That is an institution that honors the natural fact that sex creates children and children need a particular kind of environment in which to grow up to be healthy, well-adjusted adults. And that environment is captured in the historic institution of marriage. Um, and so, you know, when you have cult the, the cultural shift of, of secularization that takes place and then this notion that marriage can have some kind of, or even this notion that sexuality has some kind of objective basis, that there is some objective basis on, on which we can think about these things, that starts to disappear because, you know, if there is no God and if there is no revealed religion, then essentially all questions of morality are, are questions of human convention. And if they're questions of human convention, then, you know, humans can change conventions. You know, humans aren't bound by their own conventions. And so secularization, the decline of, of, of Christianity's influence on public institutions, uh, has made it very, very difficult to actually lodge a case against same-sex marriage based on the good of marriage itself, um, for, for, you know, for, for that reason, among others. Okay, well, thank you so much to Jamie from Cooparoo in Queensland. Let's take one more call. Ken is in Melbourne. Hello, Ken. Welcome along. Thank you. Thanks for having us uh, on air. It's been a very interesting discussion today. Um, one thing I'd, I'd probably... The aspect that I look at with this uh, gay uh, legislation is that people have to understand that there is uh, an Illuminati Illuminati in the world that is purely satanic. And that operates through uh, a new world order. And that new world order ha is anti-Christian. Ken, you touch on a very important point here, and uh, when we talk about a spiritual battle going on and then forces of evil, uh, Stephen Chavora, what are your thoughts on, on a bigger picture? Because when we talk about God, uh, then we are talking about a, uh, the, uh, you know, the side of God, and then there's a, a dark side again, the side of Satan. Is there a spiritual uh, insight that you might be able to bring to what might be happening, not only here in Australia, but perhaps around the world? Well, I don't know about a spiritual insight, but certainly I, I, I think that a lot of this sort of comes back to what happens culturally when you unhook policy and law from an objective conception of what it means to be a human being and how human beings should relate to one another and hook it on to uh, sort of human preferences. 
uh, and social convention. And uh, that is, you wind up with these kinds of battles. But, I mean, there's, you know, there's no doubt in my mind that, uh, you know, um, these, these new trends on how to think about the family, how to think about sexuality are and will continue to be quite socially detrimental. And, and I will sort of boldly say that they are out of step with God's plan for human beings, as stated uh, throughout the scripture, and that... I think the best that we can do right now is continue to point out some of the problems that are involved uh, in the, the legislation that is being passed and almost certainly will be passed, uh, but also uh, to um, hold fast to our own uh, conception of what marriage is and what human relationships should be. Um, but I, I certainly do see a, a, a very spiritual element to all of this, um, it, it's all a manifestation of what happens when a society, at least culturally, divorces itself from Christianity. And uh, just to uh, touch on what Ken is saying, if you don't believe that there is a spiritual battle going on, uh, you won't be inspired at all to pray because you won't believe that your prayers have any power in that way. Ken from Melbourne, thank you so much for your insight. And just before I move on from there, the idea of conspiracy theories and those sorts of things, you can certainly give credence to some levels of conspiracy theory, but the spiritual battle that's going on and the rise of secularism displacing our Christianity or our cultural Christianity, that's enough without getting into all sorts of other tangents and sidelines. What are your thoughts on that, Steve? Oh, look, I agree. Um, I mean, I think the the best way, well, maybe not, I, I think, uh, you know, a, a pretty sufficient way to understand this uh, is that, you know, uh, people will tend to form lobby groups and power cliques uh, in order to shape society in accordance with their own conception of uh, social well-being. And that's precisely what is happening, that over time, as society has secularized and as morals have changed, uh, activists on both sides uh, have seen fit to organize, lobby, and try to change laws. And so this is just a part of, of, of sort of the dynamics of any sort of free, open society. My problem with it, however, is that those, many of those who are advocating same-sex marriage are not simply trying to change laws, but they're actually trying to make it, impo make it very difficult uh, for people to be able to openly uh, critique those laws or to exercise their freedom of conscience in a way that you know, doesn't set back the rights and interests of others, but in a way that simply allows them to live lives authentic to their deepest beliefs. That's my problem. Well, we only have a few minutes left in our conversation. Uh, to, to draw some uh, points together, uh, when we're talking about freedom, we are, I think everyone is in, in agreement uh, that we're about to lose the freedoms that we've taken for granted. Uh, things are going to look somewhat different. This rise of secularism uh, is certainly making a contrast between what is secular and uh, what we might see as sacred. Uh, if we're drawing these uh, points together, uh, the future doesn't look easy, uh, but I imagine, uh, Steve Shavura, uh, as Christian believers, we ought not to be uh, cowering in the corner, but somehow rather regrouping and waiting for 
some revelation from God as to movements forward. How do you think about the way forward and for Christian believers in particular? Yeah, well, first, I think Christians need to make to to to, to remember that if they actually truly believe that uh, these moral innovations that have been taking place over the last generation, if they truly believe that they are false visions of, of, of morality and false visions of humankind, then they must believe that these will not turn out uh, for the well-being of society, that these will actually be socially detrimental because they are out of step with our nature as human beings. So the, the point of that is, is that we can be pretty certain that these experiments are not going to work, that they are not going to work, and that at some point, uh, even, you know, stubborn societies will realize that there are serious problems that have been thrown up that need solutions, solutions that cannot be found within the, the sort of the moral paradigm of sort of secular humanism. And at that point, my prayer and my hope is that the church will have, for that whole period, have remained faithful to its own moral vision and that people can look at Christians and see that, in actual fact, their private lives, their families are faring much better than others and that Christians also in the church will have stuck to its message that this is a bad track to have taken. And so when things start to unravel, the church and Christianity will be seen as a genuinely viable uh, alternative to the path that was taken. So there will actually be a return in some way uh, culturally to the principles of Christianity when people see their own experiment unravel. And, and I, think that's, I think in the meantime also the church needs to think about how it can resituate itself uh, at the centre of being able to meet social needs um, to ensure that when people... Maybe in two generations' time, when they think about the church, they think about it in a way that many people now don't think about it. When people think about the church now, they think about hypocrisy, they think about all sorts of abuse and things like that. But if the church can refocus on on serving the community and being a central part of its local communities, then in two generations, when maybe this moral experiment is obviously seen to fail and an alternative is being sought, that culture will turn back to the church and see you know, its point. And cultural change is absolutely possible. And I just use one example. Forty years ago, 30 years ago, people who criticized pornography and said it should be censored or banned, they were seen as crazy. They were seen as just hyper-wowser moralists. They were laughed at. Nowadays, being anti-porn is actually seen as trendy, is actually seen as rational, is actually seen as the moral position. There has been a moral revolution when it comes to pornography because the fruits of pornography socially have become abundantly clear to everyone. And in America, the same sort of thing in some extent is going on with divorce as well. The interesting thing will be to see over the next 10, 20, 30 years the testimony of children brought up in same-sex marriage, same-sex relationships, what they have to say about this moral change that has taken place. And the church needs to be ready for the possibility that there will be a cultural shift and they need to be faithful to their message and faithful to their, their own principles so when people look at the church, they'll see a viable living alternative. 
Well, certainly thank you, Stephen Shavura, for a good, insightful conversation today. And uh, thanks so much for answering those questions and concerns from listeners. Thanks to everyone who called in to be a part of 2020 today. And uh, no doubt there'll be another opportunity in, hopefully, in the near future when we'll have Stephen Shavura back and talking some more. Certainly affirms that as the dark gets darker, the light gets lighter. There is truly contrast that is coming into Australia and uh, it will separate uh, some of the wheat from the tares as the uh, scripture uh, sometimes makes reference to. Uh, Dr. Stephen Chavura, political theorist and intellectual historian, uh, currently an Australian Research Council Senior Research Associate at Macquarie University. Great words of wisdom and thank you so much for your encouragement and for your insights today on 2020. Thank you for having me, Neil. Before you go, thanks for listening. There's lots more great audio on demand, or you can listen to us live at visionradio.org.au. And remember, Vision is listener-supported. Your donation, large or small, will help us continue connecting faith to life for hundreds of thousands of people across Australia and around the world. Learn more or donate today at visionradio.org.au.